a man named Kenneth Cancer. He was the editor of Christianity Today. He was once asked what he thought was the greatest problem facing the American Christian church today. And this is what he said, and I quote, It's not what you might expect me to say. It's not liberalism or neo-orthodoxy or the wrong views of revelation or inspiration or other controversial points in theology. No, the most serious problem facing the church today is materialism. Materialism not as a philosophical theory, but as a way of life, the American way of life. In fact, it could be said, if you wanted to sum up the American way of life in our nation, it could be summed up in one four-letter word, more. More has become America's unofficial national motto. We simply want more of everything. We want more fun, more money, more stuff, cars, clothes, homes, gadgets, more of everything. What is in sharp contrast is that if you boil it all down, the message of the church, the theology of the church can also be summarized in just one word, and that's love. The problem with these two words is that they represent two different ways of being in the world. One is all about us wanting more money and more stuff. And the other is all about us wanting more God and more love. Why do we seem to want more money instead of God? Our story tonight of the rich man and Lazarus is the second story in chapter 16 of Luke where Jesus is teaching about money And he is directing his teaching to the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that their wealth was proof of their righteousness. The Pharisees thought that they would get into heaven because they're good people. After all, they were the religious leaders. They were at the synagogue every time the doors were opened. They studied the laws of Moses. They were concerned about keeping everything perfect obeying the Jewish purity laws and religious laws of the day, over 600 of them. They participated in the annual feast and holy days. They gave 10% of their money to the temple. But their religion was outward. It was all about appearances. The Pharisees did what they did to impress others. But Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus wasn't impressed because their hearts were full of pride and hypocrisy. They were not concerned about their hearts and their true relationship with God. Like the rich man in the story, they were living the good life, a life they believed to be blessed by God. After all, they were following the rules of the law. They would go to heaven. But their love of money, their love of money not only blinded them, to God's perspective, it separated them from God. So Jesus tells a story about two men. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
Now, the contrast between these two men could not have been greater. One was a have, and the other was definitely a have-not. Like many Americans, the first man was very wealthy. Now, this by itself is not a criticism. You and I know full well that there are many characters in the Bible who had wealth and were able to serve God and glorify God. Abraham, Joseph, and David, to name a few. But this particular man was self-indulgent to extreme excess. He went around clothed in purple as if he fancied himself to be a king. He wore underwear from Egypt. He ate the finest foods, feasting on gourmet cuisine. In short, this man was not just a lover of money like the Pharisees, but even more than the money was the way he used it. You see, he used his money only to gratify his worldly pleasures. He was not just rich. He was filthy rich. Now, if the rich man seemed like he had everything going for him, the poor man seemed like he had everything against him. He was sick. He had painful sores all over his body. He was completely disabled. The only way he could get from here to there is if someone agreed to pick him up. And he was hungry. He was so desperately hungry that he longed for scraps of food to fall from the rich man's table. But the only comfort he ever received came from a pack of dogs that satisfied their hunger by licking his open sores. Ironically enough, people call this poor man Lazarus. Now, to be clear, this isn't the same Lazarus that lived with Mary and Martha and who came back from the dead and was famous. This is a different Lazarus. But a man who shared the same Hebrew name with the same meaning, which meant God had helped. Ironic, right? If Lazarus believed that God had helped, it was only by faith, not because of his circumstances. Where was God in his poverty? Where was God in his illness? Where was God in his disability? We don't know how Lazarus learned to trust God for these answers. What we do know, though, is the one person, the one person who could help Lazarus, who is in the best position to help him, refused to do it. The rich man. Lazarus was lying at his doorstep. And it wasn't just any doorstep. The Greek word used here is pylona, which means some kind of ornamental gate at the entrance to a massive palace. There was more money in available for this man There was more money behind these gates that would help this man with anything that he would have needed, but only if the rich man would open wide his heart. Now we can start to see just how selfish this rich man was. Every time he went in or outside of his house, he was literally tripping over Lazarus and was confronted with the poor man's need for care. Yet he refused to show any compassion. Every day this man had a chance to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, heal the sick. But he never invited this man over to dinner. He never had the servants bring him any leftovers. He never called for any medical care for this man. It was not simply his riches that were the problem. It was his greedy, money-hungry heart. Unfortunately, this sin is common in our own culture. Students in an MBA program at Harvard 
were asked to create a strategic plan for their lives with the title, What Do I Hope to Achieve in Life After Graduation? And this was the result, and I kid you not. The three answers were wealth, notoriety, and status. Wealth, notoriety, and status. Not one student said, I hope to graduate and serve the poor. I hope to graduate and help others with this amazing education. But the Bible asks us, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? In our story, there were two men, one on each side of the gate. One was rich, one was poor. Both men died, and that changed everything because they ended up on two sides of eternity. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Death is the great equalizer. Whether we are rich or poor, none of us can escape the cold hand of the grave. No matter how much money we have, it will not save us. And when death finally happens, the only thing we have left is our relationship with God. From an earthly perspective, the death of Lazarus must have seemed completely pathetic, especially in comparison to the rich man in the story. The rich man received a proper burial, and it must have been an elaborate affair. Yet nothing is said about the poor man's burial. He simply died of starvation, his body cast aside with his blood on the rich man's hands. Now, I'm not here to suggest that you and I are literally the rich man. I'm not here to suggest that we are literally tripping over the poor on our, on our front porches, ignoring the poor as we go about our busy lives. But we all know in relation to the rest of the world, we are considered very well off. We have good homes, we have cars, we have clothes, we have money in the fridge. Some of us have extra money left over to take great vacations, put money in our savings accounts or 401ks. But I also know from my own experience how hard we all work. Many of us are working 50 and 60 hours a week. We've all worked hard for decades. We've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We have bills to pay, mortgages to keep afloat. We are struggling ourselves. Many college kids have trouble making tuition payments or even paying for uh, books. Senior citizens can't afford grocery bills or utility costs. All of us are on a treadmill of paying bills that never seem to end. Yes, we're, we live in the western suburbs, but we've worked for every dime. Besides, no one helped us when we were struggling. Yes, this is my story too. But what I'm suggesting is this. As Reverend Meyer pointed out in the first sermon of this series, which he called Going Good in a Breaking Bad World. And if you haven't read it, go to our website and download it. All of his sermons are terrific. But Reverend Meyer reminded us that sin occurs to us in the smallest infractions. Sin occurs to us when we are not looking, when we are too full of ourselves, when we're too full of our schedules, Sin can insidiously infiltrate our lives 
when we do not even intend for it to be there. And we end up tripping over the very person, event, or cause that we should instead be helping. This story is much more than a rich man and a poor man. It's a story about a man who's oblivious to the needs of others. It is about us when we get wrapped up in in our own lives. We get wrapped up in our own concerns and do not see the needs of the people right next to us or in our own backyard. And believe me, there are plenty of people in our own backyard who need our help. So ask yourself this. Who is at your gate? Are you tripping over the fact that you're not tithing? Are you really giving back to God what he fully deserves? Are you tripping over the pledge card that comes, the statement you get from World Vision asking you to sponsor a small child or give water to help a village in Africa? Are you tripping over not inviting your unchurched friends, your neighbors? You can invite them over for coffee and then to church. Are you tripping over the excesses in your life that you keep on choosing? So what do we do? What is the answer? How can we live our lives in faith and learn to fully trust God and not our money? One of the best ways we can learn to trust God with our money is to give it away. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was wanting to tell Timothy and have Timothy tell his wealthy congregation it's from this week's lectionary, and this is what I love about the lectionary. You read the problem in one, one passage and the solution in the, in the other. Hear from the Apostle Paul from 1 Timothy. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. In other words, Paul wants us to be rich in our actions and in our hearts and to give away our stuff. What is also true is our Father God does not come begging us for our money. What God values from us is our hearts. He wants us to have a servant heart. He wants us to be rich in our hearts. It's one thing to pay someone to feed the poor, to care for the sick. It's another to do it yourself and hold a sick person in your arms. God is calling us to do both. One way we can practice becoming more like Christ is to train ourselves in giving things up in the little sacrifices of every day. Support your local missionaries. Joyce just told us of this wonderful missionary festival that our director, Felicia Thompson, is hosting and putting on. Call Felicia up and see where you can help out, what food pantry you can bring your food to, your clothes to. Do someone else's chores. One of my favorite neighbors is Helen. She lives next door to us. She's 80. She takes care of her own house. My husband, John, is often over there fixing her roof, repairing her window. We often help her wash her dishes. Start a small group, not with your friends, with people you don't know, people who are not followers. Start a small group. Love them and share the word with them. Share Jesus with them. 
put a little extra in the offering plate. Forgo the latte. Forgo the latte for five days. Put it in the offering plate. As followers of Jesus, a generous life is our only way of life. My husband, John, and I joined Christ Church in 1991, and we raised our kids here. Um, we, we started here when our son, Michael, was nine months old. I could hold him in one arm, and now he's 6'3", and he's 22, and our youngest is 16. And I have to say, when our boys were young, we went a little nuts buying them toys and clothes and books and bedding. We just had so much fun doing that stuff with them. I was a frequent shopper at Gymboree and the Lego store and Toys R Us. So we had a lot of stuff. One day we had a call from the church, and a family was devastated. Their house burned down. They lost everything. Fortunately, the husband and wife were fine, and they have three little boys, but they lost everything. So the church wanted to know if we could, get, could help out. <sighs> so we prayed about it, and I said to our sons, I'm like, well, you could give away your clothes that are too small or your toys that you don't like. And my boys, who are 10 and 4, wanted to give away their favorite toys, their favorite books, their favorite stuffed animals. So the next day, we loaded up four bags. We had a lot of stuff. Five bags and hauled it over to the church. And this family was so happy. My kids were so happy because they gave from their hearts. And guess what? We still had some stuff left over. We all have enough stuff. We don't need any more. We have enough. And I know this is your story, too. I know there are thousands of people in our church that give their time and their treasure to the kingdom of God, and you've done this for years. And the reason we're able to do this is we serve a generous God. God is richer than the richest man or woman that walked this earth. God owns the universe. He is our creator, and everything we have belongs to him. And guess what? God doesn't hoard. He gives away his treasure. Paul says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides. And it's impossible to think of God's generous giving without saying and proclaiming that he gave us his son, Jesus, to walk with us, to love us, to teach us, and to be crucified for us. So let's let go of our stuff and give it back to God's kingdom. Picture that for a moment. Wouldn't that be a relief? Let go of your stuff. Without our stuff, we wouldn't have so many bills to pay. Without our stuff, we wouldn't have to work so hard. Without our stuff, we wouldn't be married to our mortgages. We'd be free to be with God. We'd be free to be with God and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Think of your life. Doesn't this sound better? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. This is the basic law of the divine economy, not culture's economy, which is all about competition and getting more stuff and what can I get, but the divine economy. The rich became poor so that the poor might become rich, and those of us who are blessed by being rich, by the grace of God, have a responsibility to give it away and to enrich others. In the end, said Clement of Alexandria, it's not the one who keeps, but the one who gives away who is rich. And it is in giving away, not possession, that renders a man happy. Friends, the ever-widening gap between the rich and the poor is one of the most important issues of our day. 
The intrepid moral of the story expressed in the rich man and poor man is that if you do not cross the, the chasm between the rich and the poor in this life, you cannot cross it in the next. After your final day here on earth, this chasm cannot be crossed. So the invitation this evening is to follow Jesus, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to share our time and treasure on earth so that we may take hold of a life that is truly life. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dearest Father God, we are truly rich. We are blessed by your son Jesus. We are thankful that he came to this earth. Father God, you have given us everything. Help us to have eyes to see and know those who are, have less than us. Have, help us to have hearts to grow so that we can share the wealth you've given us with the rest of your world. In your son's name, amen.